everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Salem podcast. This is Charlie, one of the pastors here at Commonwealth, and I'm here today with Aaron Loy, the other pastor of Commonwealth Knoxville. And we're going to have a conversation around everyone's favorite topic, the church and money. Okay, so when when uh, we, we did at our last all-family gathering about a week ago, we did our six-month financial update. And after the fact, Aaron and I were talking and, and just felt like there's so much more that could be said on this really important and also um, a difficult and controversial topic. And so we thought we would just lay out some things that, that uh, we believe about this topic, things that the Bible says about this topic, and things that I think would be helpful in our day and age. Um, I remember over the last few years, as I've gotten into church planting and pastoring, there's a few interactions I've had with people that I think paint a picture of what most people think of when they hear about church and finances or church and money. About six years ago, when I decided that I was going to go into vocational ministry, at the time I was a personal trainer, and I remember one of my clients just sharing with him that I felt like God was calling me in this direction. And I remember his response, and I'll never forget it. He said, pastoring is a great thing to go into if you want to make a lot of money. And he said this with a straight face, so so I could only assume he meant it. And that, and I began to ask him more about, you know, you know what he meant by that, because that's not really what I had in mind when I felt called to this profession. And he shared with me about his pastor who had collected a bunch of expensive sport cars and lived in a really big house in the Chicago suburbs and went on these lavish vacations. In his mind uh, and in his experience, a pastor was one who earned and, and had a lot of money and spent it lavishly. Uh, a couple of years later, we moved here to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I remember a couple conversations. One was, was with this woman who was part of a church that's no longer here in Knoxville. And one of the things she shared with me as I was asking about her church experience was how much she loved that the pastor of the church did not take a salary. And that was like her selling point. This is what she loved about this church. And uh, it, it turned out, I did a little digging, it turns out that the pastor did take pay um, from from the church. It just wasn't his main source of income. But regardless, the idea that a pastor of the church would not take a salary was something that was really appealing uh, to this person. Another conversation that I had, and this is a conversation that reflects many conversations I've had with people over the years, but was with this guy who told me about his church experience, and he had grown up in a church, was part of the same church for 20 years, and ultimately he left, and he said, the main reason he left and, and really never wanted to go back to church was because of the toxicity around money. There was so much arguments and disagreements and, and in his mind, corruption uh, around uh, money. And so much so that he just decided, you know what, I am done with this. Um, anything that might be good about this organization or this community is not worth putting up with the toxicity around money. So this conversation of church and money, uh, for many people, based on their experience, they, they think is characterized primarily by misuse, abuse, and greed. And so Aaron, 
last Sunday at All Family Gathering, you shared that you love talking about church and money. Why uh, would you love talking about something that brings up so many negative emotions that can be so volatile? Well, I certainly don't love uh, all the negative associations because um, we've seen the stories too, right? And every time another leader falls and there's, there's another scandal, um, every time we run into somebody whose story has been negatively affected by a spiritual leader who has made bad decisions, and certainly those who have maybe taken advantage of other people, right? It, it hurts. It pains me as a pastor because these are become barriers, I think, sometimes that, that get in the way of, of us continuing to experience what God has for us and to enter in with open hands and open arms and open hearts because we've been so hurt and so wounded, right? We just naturally want to protect ourselves from ever experiencing that again. So I... I I just hurt hearing those stories because they they strike so close to home. But I will say, I do I do love talking about money and and not just because it makes people uncomfortable. Um, I love it for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one, money is one of those topics that when we have this conversation around faith and what the scriptures say and about money in particular, money is one of those topics that is 100% relevant to 100% of us 100% of the time, right? Every single one of us have money, has money, whether you're, you know, a student, whether you're a retiree, whether you're working part-time as a barista while you go through college, whether you're working a full-time career, for all of us, we have money that comes in and money that goes out. And we make decisions every day uh, around what we're going to spend our money on, uh, what we're going to invest in, um, things that will shape tomorrow, things will shape the future, um, and ultimately decisions that will ultimately shape us, which is part of the conversation we're having. And so like, for me, money really hits close to home because of the transformational impact of this particular area of my life and where it intersects with faith and what God invites us into over time has completely changed me as a person. And so as a young man, like just full transparency, like I was not generous financially. And the interesting thing is, I think if you would have asked me in that season of life whether I was a generous person, I think I would have said, well, yeah, you know, um, I certainly didn't choose to go into vocational ministry to get rich, like your friend assumed. Um, You know, early in those early days, uh, I was fundraising my salary and fundraising ministry expenses. My wife likes to share broadly that our first year of marriage, I think I made a grand total of $6,000 because I hadn't really learned how to do either yet. But we had chosen this path because we sensed God calling us, you know, into this line of work. And so there were sacrifices there. You know, we were generous with our time and generous with our home and generous with our, our affections. And, you know, so I, like, I think I would have told you I was a generous person. But if you would have looked at my bank account and where I spent money or where I gave money or where I invested money, you would not have concluded that I was a generous person. And as I continued down the path and, and God began kind of opening up the scriptures to me, because um, if you're reading the Bible, you really can't get around this issue. He just revealed, you know, to me, like this was an area of my life that was not surrendered into his hands. I had not given it a lot of thought. And he, like he does, he invited Megan and I into more, you know, and what ended up happening is, you know, I, I love that the thing about money is 
if you're faithful and generous and sacrificial and giving of what God has given you, money's like one of those areas where you, you feel it and you see it. You know what I mean? Like you have to actively say no to some things in order to say yes to God on this one. And, you know, it's like, okay, do I want to take this trip, this vacation? Uh, you know, we need a new car. I really want uh, that new tech gadget or whatever. You know, it, re- it requires you to say no to a lot of those things in order to say yes to God in this one. And what it did for us is over time, it changed our hearts. And it went from something I'm doing because I felt like I needed to, that it was the obedient thing to do. So it was more like duty and have to, to this over time became like, I, I want to do this. Like, this is not a have to anymore. Like I'm experiencing some of the fruit in my own life on this one till I love to do this, you know? And so what I can say now, like however many years later for Megan and I giving financially is one of the most life-giving things that we get to do. You know, like we want to invest in more kingdom works. We want to have money to meet the needs of people that God brings across our paths. We want to be able to, um, yeah, you know, just, there's so many in- incredible ways we, what uh, things we get to do with our money. And, and so, you know, just looking at the transformational impact that it's had in my own life and my wife's life, uh, I love talking about it because I know that that's possible for every person. And so, yeah, I love talking about it. Yeah, thanks for sharing a little bit of your story and journey of generosity. I think most people would agree, well, everyone would agree with you, that money is something that affects everyone. It applies to everyone. I'm not sure everyone would agree with you that generous giving is something that applies to everyone. So is this something, is generosity something that every person who follows Jesus is called to specifically with our money or Are some called to financial generosity, others called to giving their time or 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 talents or whatever it might be? In short, yes, this is something that is relevant to every single person who counts themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Um, you know, I kind of alluded to it before, but if you actually open up your Bible and just have on your radar the topic of money and start looking for it, you will begin to see this this topic addressed everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Thousands and thousands of verses in the Bible that talk about financial issues. And, you know, and it would be one thing if it was just in the Old Testament and we could say, oh, that was an Old Testament thing. Jesus has fulfilled the law. We're in a new era under King Jesus where this is no longer a relevant topic. But what we find is Jesus actually talks a ton about money. Um, In fact, he said he talked more about money than almost any other topic. In fact, I think the only topic he talked about more was the kingdom of God. He talked about money more than heaven and hell put together. I mean, you look at even the parables, uh, of the 30, 19 are set in an economic context. So almost two-thirds of even the parables, the lost coin, parable of the talents, parable of the rich fool. Uh, if you look in the, the book of Luke, one out of every seven verses is a reference to money. And Jesus had some some really strong things to say about money. Was, he was really relentless on this. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And so we there's really no way to read the scriptures and miss 
if we're faithful to, to open up our hearts and minds for what God has for us, we can't miss that the unmistakable fact that what we do with our money matters to God, and it matters a lot. This is apparently something that God really doesn't want us to miss as Jesus followers. Um, and I think, you know, not, not at least of which, because as Jesus points out that, I mean, when it comes to our money, it is, it is formational, right? Where he teaches that it's intrinsically connected to our hearts. And over time, it actually shapes who we become, right? And so it's like this, this thing where he, he's essentially saying, you know, our hearts not only shape what we do with our money, but over time, what we do with our money shapes our hearts, right? It, it, it's a formational part of our lives that really shapes who we become as, as people. And it has deep then and lasting personal consequences. And we should also add communal consequences as well, right? And so I think maybe this is part of the reason that Jesus is just so strong on this issue. And, and I think for those of us who happen to live in this particular part of the world, at this particular point in human history, we of all people better listen and lean in, you know, because Jesus said things like, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> you, know, you know, and you're like, whew. Uh, you know, he says, it's really hard for rich people to get saved, you know, to experience the kingdom in this lifetime, because it's that big of a, of an issue for those who have it. And, and for us, we, we had better listen every time that Jesus talks about the rich, because that's us. Well, I'm not sure everyone listening would agree with that. (laughs) You know, for some of us, we get, we have, you know, uh, we have a hard time paying all our bills. We have student loans to pay back. I know you're familiar with that. Uh, you, we get to the end of the month and there's just not anything left over. Often we've overspent what we've made. So what would you say to, uh, those of us that are struggling hearing this thinking, man, I, I barely have enough money to make it through my day and make it through my month. Uh, how how does generosity play into my life? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, I I feel like it'd be it'd be wise to simply point out that there's a season to everything, and and inevitably we find ourselves in the seasons where giving sacrificially of our finances becomes exceptionally hard. You know, you lose a job. We walked through that last year. Uh, it affects what we're able to to give in that season. Um, you have a medical emergency where you find yourself, you know, in the hospital for several days. I mean, shoot, that can be twenty, thirty thousand dollars, depending on your insurance or your coverage or what the issue is. Um, things like that. You know, there there are circumstances, and I think it's just we we should say out loud that God knows those. Right? Like this is not supposed to be a guilting thing or a shaming thing um, or a paralyzing thing. Like, this is meant to be a liberating thing, a freeing thing. Like, that's what God wants for you. And money in and of itself, when we're not generous, becomes a master. I mean, Jesus says that, right? You can't serve both God and money. Right? One is going to be, uh, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. He pairs those together. Like, one of those things is going to master our life. 
And I think for a lot of us, though, it's not God, <laughs> you know, not functionally, at least not in this area of our life. I think for a lot of people, money becomes the God. And and it's because we haven't we haven't surrendered this area of our life over. We haven't experienced what it feels like to live generously and to give until it hurts and and to give until we get to a point where it's just money, right? Money becomes the end all be all. And so there is that reality. And and also I understand like, you know, especially for those who are who maybe haven't been following Jesus for a long time, or this is just like not an area of your life, their life that they've really thought about and like structured their lives around. I totally get that there are probably people listening to this that have, you know, this many years of decisions that have been made, not with honoring God as the first and foremost consideration, right? Um, And, you know, or they did go through a hard season and they're still trying to catch up and pay that off, right? And so there's grace for all of that. All of that said, I do think there's wisdom in just like zooming out a little bit and and really considering who we are, where we live, and what God has given us. Because I think the, the temptation is this, is I think none of us feel rich. I mean, 0% of us probably at any given time would say like, I am overwhelmingly wealthy. Right, because we see people in our lives or on our news feed or on ESPN all the time who have so much more than we have. And if you're like me, more than once you've thought, you know, boy, it'd be really nice to not have to worry about this area of my life, you know, and just have that much disposable income in any given month because there are many months where we are scraping by. But but I think there's some wisdom in like we have to think about if we're going to compare ourselves and play the comparison game, which is what we're doing, right? I'm not this celebrity. I'm not that professional athlete. I'm not this whoever, this person I'm reading about in Forbes. Um, I think we're just playing comparison in the wrong way. And if we're going to get a much more realistic picture, you know, rather than comparing ourselves to the 0.01% of people we see on our phones or whatever, we should compare ourselves to the other 99 point whatever 9% of humanity um, that have come before us and those who live even like right now. And, and if we did that, what we would find is we are some of the richest people to have ever lived. And even if we compared ourselves to most of the people alive on earth today, we would find that in their eyes, we make amounts of money even if we live below the poverty level in the United States, we make more money than they can even imagine in a given year. And again, not to guilt and shame people, but like just perspective here, because, right, we're trying to think about this in a, in a wise way, in a way maybe that God sees where we are and what's been entrusted to us. You know, and so consider this. Uh, I want to just share a few numbers with you that I find deeply humbling and give me a good dose of perspective in any given moment. So in this moment, uh, 900 million people on earth don't have access to clean drinking water. And we know that 80% of sickness and disease is a result of just that. And so the fact that I can walk over to my sink or to my refrigerator and fill up a glass of water with something that is not going to make me sick, something that I need to survive um, tells me that I, in this area of my life, I am so rich, right? My toilet water is probably more sanitary than, than what most people have to drink in certain parts of the world. 
you know, and so in that way, I'm very, very rich. Uh, when you consider that 60% of the world lives on less than $2 a day and what say our income, I understand like the, their cost of living is a little bit lower. <laughs> I understand that. But with what I've been entrusted for me to give $2 a day into that context and is an exceptional amount of money, right? What I give into that context to kingdom initiatives or whatever, that money can be multiplied in ways there that it can't here. And I have the ability to do that, right? With that comes responsibility. Uh, we make a lot more than $2 a day. Uh, in fact, if you made just $1,500 in income last year, you are in the top 20% of earners in the world, 1500 bucks a year. Uh, you are richer than 80% of the world's people. If you have a car uh, or a truck, a vehicle you drive, uh, that puts you in the richest 3% of people who are alive right now. And if you earn over $50,000 annually, you are in the top 1% of the world's earners. So you're richer, literally, than 99% of the rest of the world, right? And again, this is not to guilt or shame anybody. This is, just, I hope, it does for you and it does for me, which is, gives me extraordinary perspective on what has been entrusted into my hands. And with that comes a tremendous amount of responsibility, and so I, I think one of my favorite quotes I ever heard on this topic, you know, as you, as you realize just how blessed like you and I are, and probably every single person listening to this, we are so ridiculously blessed. And this pastor just shared, he said, you know, you should never feel guilty for being blessed. You should just feel responsible. Yeah. I love that. I, and I can't recall if you said this to me or if I read it somewhere this week, but uh, um, it, somewhere I, I heard or read that it's not generous if it doesn't cost you. And I think a lot of times, you know, when we ask, think exactly what you pointed out that, well, it's easy for that person to give because they have so much more than me. Well, there's people in this world that can give millions of dollars and it still doesn't cost them. It's not generous. It, it looks generous, but Jesus is pretty clear. It's not the amount, right? It's, it's the heart, and it's what, what it costs you. Um, we are called to sacrificial generosity. For some of us, that may be a couple dollars because of our circumstance. For some of us, it's probably substantially more. As you pointed out, most of us, by the world's standards, are very rich. So let's get a little bit more practical as people right here, you know, they're listening right now to two pastors talking about giving and generosity. I think one of the first things that will come to mind is this concept of the tithe. What, what is tithe? What does that mean? I know a lot of people think 10%, um, but would you just unpack that a little bit for us? Where does that word come from? What does it actually mean? And how does it apply to us? Yeah. Yeah. The, the tithe is definitely something that's talked about a lot. Um, even taught as like a general principle for followers of Jesus to, to follow after. Um, it comes from the Old Testament, right? The tithe is Hebrew for 10th. And it's referring to uh, one of the Old Testament commands on what God's people were supposed to do with their money. And so oftentimes, uh, yeah, pastors and teachers will say, hey, this is a great, uh, not so much a command that's relevant to us, but this is a great principle to live by at the very least. And so I know where that comes from. And 
And for some people, that might be true. Uh, 10% could be a great starting point or a great place to work your way to. But to use that for everybody, um, I, I, I don't think that is really the the heart of the law or what God calls us to biblically as a whole. So I think maybe just by way of kind of giving some context to this. So so the, let's get back to the tithe. So the tithe was God's people were commanded in the Old Testament to give uh, the first 10% of their aggregate income or their gross income to uh, the Levites, which were was a priesthood uh, who kind of managed and led uh, the worship of God's people. Uh, this was tied as well to their well-being because they were not allowed to own land. And so uh, one of the ways that the Levites got to serve what God was doing worship-wise in their context and carry out their calling was God's people would give 10%, right? And so you can kind of see where some churches connect the dots and they're like, this is a, a good thing for you to work towards or to start at. But uh, that that wasn't the only thing that God's people were called to give. The, t- the tithe really was just uh, the beginning. So the tithe was meant to be the, your first 10%, right? So like the best of what you earned, that would immediately go to fund the worship business and, and the Levites in, in particular. But on top of that, then you were also called to give another 10% um, to these various celebrations and festivals that they would have, uh, making much of God's name. Um, in Isaiah, the kingdom of God includes this like feasting and celebration and music. And, you know, people from all over would come and just lift up God's name and they would party, you know, in the name of God, which I, I kind of love, if I'm honest. Um, I love what that suggests about God's heart, uh, that God would even call his people to put money aside to celebrate and to feast. Um, at times, that was a very special thing given, uh, you know, times of shortness where they didn't have lots of meat, uh, times when, when there um, wasn't a lot of rainfall and crops, and yet God would say, right, in this particular circumstance, you're going to celebrate. I want you to celebrate, celebrate my goodness and and how I've provided for you. So um, kind of wish we still did that. We could throw some great parties if we all put 10% towards that. Um, but that was, so that was red, like 20% already of, of what you would make in a given year um, that you were called to give away if you were God's people, Old Testament. And then every third year, you would give another 10% of your income uh, that went to help the poor specifically. So you break that. That's every third year. So 3.3% uh, if you average that out. And then you had uh, gleanings uh, for the poor and for the foreigner that's coming in. Um, in addition to that, there were specific tithes and offerings and additional needs that came up that you were called to contribute to as God's people, right? We're already at 25%, right? And then there were spe- uh, special sacrificial gifts that you were invited into. So you add all that up and you're looking somewhere between 27 and 30%, you know, this particular time in the biblical record that God would call you to give away. And then you would pay your taxes and then you would live on whatever was left, right? And so to just teach that, well, what God wants from you in the New Testament as a New Testament people is for you to give 10% away, um, really misses the heartbeat there. Um, and so, uh, I know where that comes from, but, but I think it's, it's really missing the heart. Right. And so then we go like, so what are we called to give? Am I supposed to give 30%? Like, you know, are we taking this on old Testament teaching? Is this still relevant for us? And the good news is no, Right? Jesus has fulfilled the law. 
uh, we live on the in the the new covenant. And the New Testament does not just take this particular part of Israel's history and say this is relevant to us. But what I would say to that is, is we're given different pictures that actually call us to an even more generous posture. You know, before we even get to how much exactly you're supposed to give, it's really right the heart's posture. In the Old Testament, even when you were commanded to give 30% or 27% of your income away, you know, there wasn't um, like a prison for non-tithers. You know, the priesthood wasn't checking your books and coming after you. This was like this really holy and personal thing between you and God. And whether you were obedient or disobedient in this area of your life, that was between, between you and God. And you might not go to prison, you might not lose a limb, the priesthood might not come after you, but were there consequences for not being faithful that area of your life? Of course there were, right? And I think this is where there's a lot of overlap and there's kind of this common thread that does weave the Old and New Testaments together is just like then, um, there's not a prison you're going to go after, you know, you're going to go to, you're not going to lose a limb. Um, Charlie and I are not, if you're part of Commonwealth, we're not checking your giving records and then double checking with the government and how much you make. And if you don't meet a certain percentage, we're going to come after you or at least have some passive aggressive conversations. None of that's going to happen. Like what you give is this deeply personal and holy thing between you and God. And either you are obedient in that and experience the fruits of that and become the kind of person that shapes you to become or you're disobedient in that, and you live with those consequences that are really between you and God, and that, and you are shaped into a different kind of person, right? And so in the Old Testament, it might have been a little bit easier when they give you a statistic, but the heart in that is like, is, is to shape you into a generous person. In the New Testament, we're given a different picture, which is you are now a people who have been reconciled back to God through the sacrificial generosity of our God, right? God has given you everything, given us everything in Jesus. Jesus has given us everything, pouring out his blood willingly that we might be saved and reconciled and that all of creation might be reconciled and made new. And now we're supposed to live the entirety of our lives in a similar way, right? Pick up your cross and follow me, the God who is who lays down that which he might have otherwise been entitled to, that which he didn't have to give, gives everything so that others might have life. Now go and do likewise as, as a Jesus people, as a kingdom people. And so that, of course, is much bigger than money, right? And that does include that our, our homes and our time and our affections and all these things, but it also certainly includes our money. Thanks for laying that out. I love I love hearing about the giving habits of the ancient Israelites. And what I love about it is it's just such a radically different culture and it's not transferable to our culture today. It's just it's impossible to do. So for that reason we can't take the things that they did back then and and make them our to-dos today. We can't check them off the box. I gave 10% here, 10% here, 10% here, I'm done. Instead, we can look at that and we can see what did they value? They valued worshiping God. They valued 
celebration, throwing parties, these, these seven festivals every year that were part of their calendar and, and everything oriented their time, their money was all oriented around these celebrations. They valued taking care of, of the poor and, and the widowed and the orphan. You know, we have a couple thousand people experiencing homelessness in Knoxville right now. That wasn't happening in ancient Israel because they deeply valued caring for those who, who couldn't at the moment or, or, or whatever it was, take care of themselves. And so then we take that and we ask, well, what do we value? Look at, look at your checkbook. What do you value? What, what you value is where you'll, you'll put your, your resources, your time, what you'll invest money into. So, Absolutely. So I appreciate Absolutely. you laying well, that out. And I would add to that too, um, and I love that. That's so true. You really get to see what they cared about and they allocated their resources accordingly. You know, I feel like in, if we zoom back out even a little bit more, right? It's like, well, why did they care about those things? Well, they cared about those things because their heavenly father cared about those things, right? And asked them to allocate their money accordingly, right? And so I think that is really what's really helpful for us as we think about being a new covenant people, a new Testament people, is we, while we might not be called to copy and paste um, certain commands that were for a certain time in their history as a people, in the history of God's people, what we can, though, get is, and we see this throughout the New Testament, is like this is a reflection of the heart of the Father, right? The, the, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? Does he still care about us being a generous people? Yes, he does. Does he still care about us being a worshipful, a worshiping people? Yes, he does. Does he still care about the orphans and the widows and the poor and the alien? Yes, he does. Right, and so while we might not copy and paste the percentages, that is the Father's heart, and we are a kingdom people, and that kingdom is forever, and we are invited to participate that in that in 2024, just as they were, you know, thousands of years ago. Great, awesome. So I I would imagine that there's some people that are struggling with some of this, and and particularly around giving to a church. So I I. I can just foresee, I mean, I know there's people out there listening who are like, hey, you know, I give, I give in this way. I'm, I'm generous in all these ways. I just don't give to a local church body. So what would you say to that? Is it necessary that some or all of our giving goes to a local church body, or is there room for generosity in, in other ways, giving to things that, that we value? Uh, that are in line with some of that, you know, whether it's a nonprofit or caring for our neighbors. Maybe, maybe we set aside money to further the mission of our microchurch for our community. People are involved in these microchurches that are engaged in, in different things. So where, where does our giving have to go? Is that even a question we should be asking? Yeah, I think that's a question. That's a very intuitive question, right? I think there's probably a number of people listening to this, um, who have asked the same question or they're asking the same question, you know, as they think about their own finances and what God has invited them into. Um, one of the things I've, and so I'll, I'll do this. First of all, I'll just speak to this maybe more personally um, and, and kind of how we think about this. Uh, as a pastor, I have always said, like, I am, <laughs> I would never suggest that all of a person's giving needs to go to a local church. Uh, I'm not that bold. <laughs> Um, and also, you know, on a personal level, 
uh, not all of our family's giving goes to the local church. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And part of that is the, what we just talked about right there is the truth is there are, there are beautiful kingdom works that reflect the heart of the Father, that reflect the kingdom of God, um, that reflect and, and work into fixing things in our world, or we might even say restoring certain things in our world in a way that actually helps those, those realities, those broken places better reflect the heart of the Father and how things are going to be when He makes all things new, right? And, and some of those, I would say many of those are Christian organizations. They don't have to be. Um, there are also uh, non-Christian organizations that are, that are working hard in areas like justice, um, some of them in ways that I don't think the church even can as effectively as they do. And I think many, you know, as you pray about it, think about it, might find that these are worthwhile things to invest some of what God has entrusted me into. And so I just want to affirm that, you know, for our family, given uh, some of our unique values and opportunities that have kind of been placed before us, I mean, we give it to things that are not the local church, uh, like International Justice Mission. Um, and we give specifically to their human trafficking efforts, and I think they do it as well, if not better, than any organization I've, I've ever seen before. Um, holistically stepping into it legally, rescuing girls, caring for girls, helping them rehabilitate and get their feet on the ground and help them flourish on the other side of a nightmare, um, actually paying for um, uh, the the taking these these entities to court and the legal fees and the legal process. Like they have people all over the world that are systematically like working against this and undoing what is there, which I, I just love. I think that's reflective of the heart of the father and the kingdom of God. Uh, we've adopted, you know, kids through uh, world vision uh, numerous times. Um, we set aside funds to, to do really cool things in the neighborhood and step in the needs of, of, you know, these needs that God brings across our path. We support people that are doing work in Western Europe, right? Just these things that, that for us, we feel really uh, deeply about. And it's our joy to get to give to these things and, and hear the stories of what God's doing on the ground there. Um, what I will also say, though, uh, for us as a family, the bulk of our giving does go to the local church. And without, you know, jumping too deeply into it, uh, the primary reason for that is because of our theological convictions. Um, those being that the local church, God's people, is the primary place that God continues his kingdom work. Um, at least, let me say this, we know that God's at work all the time in all different places, and so much of it we're not aware of in any given moment. He is good, he is faithful, he is just, he's, he's doing all kinds of things, um, even in the places where the church is not, I'm convinced of that. But many of those things we're not made aware of. You know, many of those things are things that God does in ways that we can't discern or see or know the full picture of. But when it comes to the local church, that's, that's really the one place, the people of God that we know uh, that is central to God's ongoing um, work of reconciliation and furthering the kingdom. And it's also the one place that every follower of Jesus has been called to participate in. And, and so for us, while there are lots of good things to give to, and we give to some of those things, most of our giving goes to this, this particular work, the local church, the people of God, uh, because theologically we believe it's central to what God is doing in the world and what we've been called to be a part of. That's great. Yeah, if I could just add, I think, you know, that reflects 
our family as well. I mean, we've always prioritized uh, giving to the local church, even though, you know, I resonate with the people who struggle with just giving to a general fund of an organization. And for some, for some people that, that money goes to maintaining a facility and paying salaries. And for those who are part of our community, Commonwealth, they know that those are two areas that we're constantly trying to cut back on and trying to figure out how do we, how do we spend less on this or at least a less percentage of our budget on facilities and salaries so we can free up money for other things as well as just be able to exist on a, on a minimal budget because we think that that's, that's important uh, as a, as a community. But so I resonate with, with people that may be hesitant to, to just give to, to the general fund of a church. But what I would say, and there may be some reasons to direct giving elsewhere. The one area that I think is so important for anyone to consider as they're thinking about generosity and giving is just asking why, why won't, why are you hesitant or why are you uncomfortable giving to your local church? And if it has anything to do with a lack of trust for the institution or the leaders uh, or, or how that money is spent, then I think we have a problem that's bigger than money and bigger than generosity. This is a, this is a problem that, that could grow and really become, become uh, destructive to not only your relationship with the community, but the but the community as a whole. And so, so for anyone listening who says, you know, I just don't trust the, the local church with, with my money. I'd rather be in control of where, where I'm giving this money. Yeah. I would, I would encourage you just to, to go speak to, to your leaders, the, the elder board, the directional team, the pastors, share your concerns. Maybe some of them are valid and need to be addressed. But if there's any amount of distrust there, that's not a healthy thing for a community, money, money or otherwise, uh, it needs to be dealt with. So, Aaron, thanks for sharing all this. I, I mean, one of the things, if I could just draw out one thing that I think is so valuable is, is constantly revisiting your habits of generosity. You, you talked about earlier in our conversation how this is a formational issue which means we've never arrived when it comes to generosity. If, you've, if you have decided, I'm going to give 10% of every paycheck that comes in uh, and, and then just set it and forget it, they may have been generous for a season. But if, if we are constantly being formed in, in likeness to Jesus, that, that necessarily means we are also constantly being formed in, in a heart of sacrificial generosity. And, and therefore, we should always be moving and growing and changing, finding new ways to be generous and new areas to, to be generous to. Uh, so, so continually be revisiting this, this part of your faith journey um, and growing in this area. Aaron, is there any final words that you have in this conversation? Yeah, well, I want to affirm what you just said. I think that's so key in this conversation. And if we were having coffee together, whoever might be listening to this or lunch and processing this, I think this is a question that inevitably would come up is, again, can we get back to how much is enough, you know? And and this is where I, I think, you know, a hard percentage that's static, like you're saying, really falls short of the heart of what God wants to do in us and his heart behind that. Um, this is a dynamic, a dynamic uh, part of our relationship with Jesus. And if we're growing in generosity, a hard number will never do because God grows us 
and and we find ourselves in the seasons of maybe scarcity, and then we have a season of abundance, and there's grace for that, and God walks with you in that. But in the end, the call is not so much to a certain number as much as it is to be generous as God has been generous to us. And what that means for each of us is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I think for it to be generous, it needs to be sacrificial. I think we should feel it. Uh, I think it should affect our lifestyle as we grow in generosity. Again, it's actively saying no to things in order to say yes to God. Uh, but the actual number is is a holy and personal thing, and it always has been, and it always will be. Uh, I think the last thing um, I would just say is as you're processing this, um, as you're praying about this, as maybe you're thinking about the angry email that you want to send me or, or Charlie. Not me. I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm like innocent bystander in this one. <laughs> yeah, you can please email me. I'd love to continue talking about this. I, I think one of the biggest shifts that makes all the difference in the world is for us to simply come to grips with uh, not only how much we've been entrusted with, as we've talked about, how much we've been given compared to the rest of the world, but by coming to the realization that none of a, none of it is ours to begin with. And I think that can be a hard shift to make initially because uh, we live in the culture we live in that is that celebrates the cowboy, the go-getter, the self-made man or woman. And I get mail at the house that I live in that has my name and the address I live in. And all of these things just lend to me beginning to believe that it belongs to me and that I somehow deserve this more than, more than most, more than someone. Um, at the end of the day, I think the biggest shift is coming to the realization that, first of all, you, you and I don't own anything. This life is very temporary. Uh, there's a start date and an end date. There are so many days, so many breaths that we get. And then it, and then it all goes somewhere else. Like we can't take any of it with us. And, and so God in the scriptures is constantly saying the earth is mine. The earth is mine. Uh, everything in it is mine. Uh, in Job, you know, he says things like, uh, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Every beast of the forest, every cattle on a thousand hills, the silver and the gold is mine, uh, says, he says in Haggai. Um, and Deuteronomy 8.17, I think, is particularly important for us in, in the space that we live in. He, he says this, he says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. I've done this, right? Because you just got to remember that it was not your choice. Um, it was not your doing to grow up in the country you grew up in and the family you grew up in and the culture with the opportunities that you've had. It is either whether you want to call it sovereignty, whether you want to call it luck, at the end of the day, it's, it's a gift, if nothing else. And even in this moment, I know that there are people who are wired like me, maybe look a lot like me in other parts of the world. Maybe they're driven uh, like me. They, they're, they're ambitious. They're, you know, they're under different circumstances. They would be living in my shoes and in mine and theirs. And so the ability to go get a college education and to get a job and to have a career, those, those are all gifts 
that I am called to steward like their gifts with the one life that I have to live. And, and at the end of the day, that's the call for all of us. It's, it's all, it's all a gift and it's, it's a gift for us to temporarily steward. And at the end of our life, we are going to have to answer to God, was I faithful with this gift in the way that you've called me to? And so that's all I have to say about that. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate your wisdom and boldness on this topic. Really helpful. So thanks for listening. For any of you uh, who are not a part of our community and want to learn more, you can visit commonwealthknox.org. And for those of you who are a part of Commonwealth and you want to continue this conversation, reach out. Aaron or myself would love to have a conversation with you uh, about this or anything else. So don't hesitate. Um, Again, appreciate you listening. Have a great day.